Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. I want to invite you to support a very special Kickstarter, 1982, Greatest Geek Year Ever, from producers Mark A. Altman, Roger Lay, and Thomas Vitale. 1982, Greatest Geek Year Ever. You're probably asking why. Well, I got Darren Docterman here with me to tell us about some of the great films. Now, I want you to guess some of the films that came out that year. I'm going to give you a, give you a hint. Still, old friend. Uh, Tron. No. God, <laughs> that was one of the films. But oh. that's not the one I'm talking about. Okay. You managed to kill just about everyone else. But like a poor marksman, you keep on missing the target. Uh, Conan the Barbarian. No, that also came out that same year. Oh, God, you've never listened to me before, Crom. <laughs> okay. Okay. You're making this really, really difficult. I don't have any quotes from Time Rider, the uh, Adventures of Lyle Swan. What about this? Um, you're not a replicant. Oh. Hmm. I came across a turtle on a road. You turned it over. Okay, uh, that's the thing. No, it's Blade <laughs> Runner. Gosh, oh, that also right. came out in 92. But the thing did come out in 1982. And as we all learned, man is the warmest place to hide. <laughs> hey, have you ever wondered what it's like to put out fire with gasoline? I have not. Do you know what movie that's from? The great David Bowie sang the song. Oh, it's, uh, I have no idea. Cat People. Oh, Cat People, right. Cat People, Paul Schrader's remake of Cat People, 1982. Nastasia Kinski. Exactly. And, and, and John Hurd and Malcolm McDowell, who fans of this podcast may know, played Sauron. Sauron? You mean Soren. Yeah, that's who I mean. He played Sauron, the Lord okay, of the Rings. Okay, let me. Okay, you you know. Okay, let me let me let me try a few more because you're not doing very good at this. Okay, this house has many hearts. Oh, that's uh, that has to be Star Trek too. No, that's Poltergeist. <laughs> God, I thought you were a Trexpert. Well, There's I no am. line like that in Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. I I pretty sure there is it's it's when the it's when Savick comes out of the uh turbo lift and says this house is clean okay i got i got one last one because i don't i don't have anything from i don't have anything from the atomic cafe or, or missing oh or, i have or, something from the atomic cafe duck yeah and cover duck and cover that's true very good that also came in 1982 and i'm gonna give you one last one last thing okay Okay. Silver Shamrock. Silver Shamrock. Oh, uh, E.T., the extraterrestrial. Oh, it's Halloween 3, <laughs> Season of the Witch. Oh, my God. Gertie could do better at this than you can. This is no, terrible. I, this is... Mark, I'm, this I'm pulling your leg. I, I knew all of these. I just wanted to have a little bit of fun because all of these movies came out in 1982, the greatest geek year ever. Indeed, they did. And if you want to learn all that is learnable, know all that is knowable in 1982 and have a great time doing it, check out our documentary on Kickstarter starting June 4th, the anniversary of Star Trek II and Poltergeist release through the end of June and support this Kickstarter. I hope you'll join me in making this really special documentary. I fell in love with the movies in 1982. I want to celebrate it and I hope you'll help us do that by supporting 1982 Greatest Geek Year Ever with an exclusive logo from Mike Akuda. If you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed Gross and me, Mark A. Altman, have a new oral history coming out this July from St. Martin's Press. It's Secrets of the Force, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the Star Wars saga. So. Wherever you buy books, audio, and video, pick it up today, pre-order, and you can learn the secrets of the Force. And don't miss our oral history of Star Trek in stores now. And, of course, nobody does it better. The complete oral history of James Bond in digital, hardcover, paperback, and audio. That is all. If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. 
and Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman of the 430 Movie. I'm here with Steve Melching, Darren Docterman, Ashley Miller. You know, and if you want to know what Ashley's pick out of the box is, you owe it to yourself to watch the 430 movie live. You should see the expressions. The only way to understand the kinds of faces we're making when Ashley does Wednesday is to watch us on Electric Now. It's one thing to hear us, but you can't see the expressions on our face. You can't hear disbelief. Coming soon, our new podcast, Ashley Does Wednesday. (laughs) Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. Struck by a lethal blow. He's in cardiac arrest. With little hope for survival, Picard journeys to the other side. Welcome to the afterlife, Jean-Luc. You're dead. Now Q offers him man's ultimate desire to change his own destiny. But will he alter the past to stay alive? I gave you something most mortals never experience. Or die on the operating table next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. This is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Doctorman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And this is the Trexperts Briefing Room, where we curate notable episodes of Star Trek with writers, producers, stars, and honorary Trexperts. Because, of course, the only real Trexperts are Darren and I. Right. But uh, we have honorary Trexperts. But today we're really thrilled. This is a great episode, six season episode of Next Generation Tapestry. And we have with us one of the stars of that episode. One of our, our favorite people, oh. Justine Brandy. Justine is here to talk tapestry. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> Old friend of the podcast. And uh, we are, uh, you know, this is, such a, this is such a great episode. And, you know, it's really interesting because I know Ron Moore uh, talks about it being one of his favorite episodes that he wrote of the show. Ron, of course, just left his Sony deal to go over to Disney where he is doing the MCD the uh, the the uh, Disney uh, universe for uh, Disney Plus, which is so exciting, I can't wait to see what he comes up with for the uh, Disney shared universe. Um, you know, we're all Disney fans here, so it'll be uh, maybe we'll be doing inglorious inglorious Disney spurts one day, uh, Darren. If if we're not Disney Disney fans, I'm sure we'll be uh, impounded to do so in very short time. <laughs> well, how Einstein said everything is energy. I kind of think everything is Disney now. So, like, <laughs> Disney here, Disney there. It's not far from wrong. No. <laughs> uh, now, now um, just to tee this up, we talked a little bit about this when you were on the podcast uh, last year, but um, uh, you play Marta in this episode. And just if you briefly can uh, set the table for us uh, getting cast in the show in Next Generation. How, how did that happen? Is that how did, how did that happen? How, how did, did this craziness happen? happen? The audition. No, well, I, actually, you know, I really, I have a old high school friend who's on the music side of the business, but he was an actor when he was young too. My friend, Jeff Russo. Um, he was like, you have an audition for Star Trek. You are getting this part. Sit down. We're working on this scene. And he just, you know, grilled me until I, uh, felt really great about it. So I, I do feel I owe some of that to him. Now, yeah. is this Jeff Russo, the composer? Yes. Yeah. See, now he should be lobbying to get you on Picard because, of course, he does the score for Picard. He does. I'm yeah. going to have to, you know. And Discovery. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah, and Discovery. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, if Marta's going to come back in Picard, That's well, right. there you go. You know, who better than the composer to sing your praises? <laughs> See, this is what happens when you've known someone since you're 15. You're like, ah, I know he's out there doing music on a bunch of shows. I see his name fly by. And, yeah. But can't keep up. See? <laughs> it's six degrees of Shatner right there. There you six go. Degrees. You know, so. that's where we're going to do that episode one day. Six degrees of Shatner. I love it. So, yeah. but this, so, this is. I think it was down to me and like some tall, leggy, blonde or redhead. Like they're like one producer. I don't know if this is true, but my agent said one producer likes the, the small, quirky brunettes, and the other likes the tall, leggy blondes. And so it depends which way they want to go. 
Oh, I could guess who was who, but I'm not going to say. I, I could guess which producer was interested in the <laughs> tall, leggy blonde and which was interested in, 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 in the cerebral, you know, cool uh, brunette. Uh, but I'm not going to say because I don't want to get either of them in trouble. Uh, <laughs> and, you may not even know which ones it was, but I, I, I have no idea. I just, you know, was um, trying to get over the big hair. <laughs> yes. I, and we will see a lot of big hair in this episode. It's the 90s. In fact, this was uh, this premiered in February of 1993, the height of big hair fever. Um, the 24th <laughs> century looked a lot like the 90s. So it'll be interesting. I was into, all into like the, the um, oh God, the, the um, oh my God, I'm having like a senior moment right now. <laughs> I was into the, the Twin Peaks hair, all the brunettes right. on Twin Peaks. <laughs> I did not have everyone. Hair. Yeah. So I was you know, like trying to look like Sherilyn Finn, I think, at the time. Not that I succeeded, but that was my, you know. <laughs> and yes, Twin Peaks was a huge phenomenon. And of course, Sherilyn Finn and uh, Lara Flynn Boyle and uh, Machen Amick were like on the cover of like every newspaper, every magazine. Yeah, I think that was the same time, unless I'm mixing up memories in my head. It was, it was right about, it was a little after. But I think when you filmed it, it was right after. It was like that second season of, uh, of, yeah. of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, the shoulder pads from the 80s were no longer a thing, but they, right. they sort of drifted down the uniform in the 90s. The, <laughs> the, the padding was I no was longer on the shoulders. That. It was like a room of just human shapes, you know, mu mu uh, muscles for men and, you know, shape for women. Yeah. <laughs> so, that was okay. Well, we are about to look at the sixth season episode, the wonderful sixth season episode, because, you know, uh, Tapestry, this may be one of the best episodes we've done because we haven't always done the most popular, the most famous. You know, we've often looked at the uh, underappreciated or even just plain mediocre episodes because they're more interesting to talk about. But Tapestry is 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 a fantastic episode. Um, it's, it's certainly, uh, it's been in a lot of top 10 lists for people who've done top 10 lists for uh, TNG. I would say it's probably in my top 10 TNG episodes, um, and you were a fan of Next Generation also, so we'll talk about that on the commentary. <laughs> so, Darren, um, we are going to be looking at a um, the beautiful CBS Blu-ray uh, that was released several years ago. The remaster is done by uh, CBS. However, if you'd like, you can stream along on CBS All Access, on Netflix, on Amazon. Uh, they're all the same, uh, same versions, but uh, we'll be streaming off the beautiful CBS home entertainment discs uh, that were remastered a couple years ago. So if you will count us down, please, sir, Here we will begin go. our commentary. Season 6, episode 15, for those of you following along at home, Tapestry in 3, 2, 1, play. See, this is interesting. It's a cold teaser where we really come in hard. It's not like a slow burn. A lot of Next Generation teasers were really sort of slow and boring. They didn't have that kind of impact of the TOS teasers. This is a great cold teaser. You know, we're right in the thick of the action. Wasn't cold teaser is... a, Claren, a, a character on some other show? No, never mind. <laughs> yeah, on Archer, cold <laughs> teaser. <laughs> This is, I mean, this really, if we, you know, we haven't done this on our show yet, but we probably should, is the best Star Trek teasers. This is up there with like Mirror Mirror and some of the great Star Trek uh, teasers. Because, you know, we're about to uh, transition into the afterlife. Heaven Can Wait, Mark II. And I know they were very concerned about how to shoot that. They were afraid it would be overexposed. And the, for some reason, they put um, John Delancey in sort of a white bathrobe, white terry cloth bathrobe. And you know, shot against a black, a white psych, and they were afraid that he would just disappear and all we see are these floating heads. <laughs> but it actually is a very effective um, uh, moment, very effective teaser. And we push in on Picard, and oh my goodness, here we are. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, where's Mr. Jordan? <laughs> James Mason. See, yeah, he's totally blown out. It's amazing they got away with this because Star Trek was very risk-averse, particularly in the way it shot stuff. Jonathan West was now shooting because Marvin uh, Rush was over on Deep Space Nine. And, 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 but it works great. I, I love this. And I think I love the fact because it's Star Trek pushing the envelope. This would be cool in VR. I'd like to be in the middle yeah, of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a great, great line. 
And in fact, I think there was a little processing on that to blur, to, uh, you know, ghost out uh, John Delancey's face to, you know, make the reveal all that more uh, interesting. Well, you'd have, a, you know, a lot more control over that now. This was all shot on film sure. and then uh, posted in posted um, in video. Yeah. In video. But now you would have a lot more control over the image, uh, digital image. In fact, you would never get it, let, let it get that uh, blown out. Um, but it was, it's, it's very cool. But, you know, this originally, this, this show began its life as an episode by Ron Moore called A Q Carol. And it basically was a Christmas carol where, you know, Q would take Picard through all these different incidents in his life, including the Stargazer and Jack Crusher's death and uh, what we see here, which is a story that was originally teed up in Samaritan Stare. St snare <laughs> when he tells this dad blue and uh, also uh, in final mission with Wesley uh, Picard talks about all this and uh, Michael Piller who was the executive producer at the time hated this he thought it was it was a very ridiculous high concept it didn't really say anything about the character and and was not a fan and so they decided to focus on uh, this idea of um, one specific incident and how that changed the course of his life. And it became It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. That's how I was a part of it. You know, I hadn't realized until I went back and was reading some of my old interviews, Michael Piller did not like this episode, which oh. is amazing to me. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he did not like the episode. Um, and, and there was some criticism that it encouraged violence is the only way to resolve your problems, which I don't think was at all that, what yeah. this episode was saying. I didn't get that at all. Or maybe he just liked tall, leggy blondes. We don't know. No, I, it was not him. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if that's true. This might have been something funny my agent just said. I was <laughs> no, it sounds about right. <laughs> your life ended about five minutes ago. Yeah, I mean, and we've talked about this before, but why don't you talk a little bit about Delancey working with John? It, it, it was a blast. You know, he was he was very, very funny. You might remember more than I do at this point <laughs> of what I've told you. He was, I, I, I feel like, he. I feel like I, I had this thing on, I saw him, I was like, he's Bugs Bunny, you know? He's like Bugs Bunny of this episode. He's just messing with it. Car, <laughs> and he sort of had that thing, with, you know, like just always sort of be everywhere at the wrong time, right? That's a yeah. Great, that's a great analogy. Um, you know, it's funny because this—you never want to get pigeonholed as an actor, uh, and and I, and yet, I, it, when I was watching Breaking Bad, you know, Delancey was in a couple episodes of Breaking Bad. Yeah, I couldn't help but think of him as Q, and it's it's sad because. Only a great actor can create identification with the role that deeply. But at the same time, it's a liability because, I, I mean, you know, this show was not in the pop culture the way, you know, other people like J.R. Ewing in Dallas got immortalized, right? Larry Hagman was always going to be uh, um, J.R. Ewing. But uh, I still like so associate Delancey with Q that yeah. it's difficult to see him as anyone else. Yeah. He is such a great actor. Like he was, oh, he's full of surprises. I was, it was just so interesting to watch how he brought things up. Like both of them, it was like mm -hmm. being treated to live theater, you know, on set. How was he? How was he in different takes? Did he? Did he give uh, slightly different readings? Or you know what? I don't know that I was paying attention to that. Uh, I, I was a little in awe. You know, I was pretty young. Um, sure. It was really exciting. And this was the first thing I really worked on that it was like, it was just about making it as good as it could be, right? Yeah. Like, like there's always a sense of, well, we got to move on sometimes with things and shots and they didn't care how many forced calls they gave me. It was like, it's going to be what it needs to be, you know, and that yeah. was kind of neat. And the set at this point was so dialed. It was like, it was like walking into, uh, into Disneyland. You walked into the stage and you were just in, you know, you were in Star Trek. Right. So cool. That was the great thing about those sets. Unlike a lot, like a lot of other shows, you almost could feel like you were on the Enterprise because of the way that the corridors connected the different sets. Yeah. So you could really get lost in the idea that you're on 
the ship as opposed to a lot of shows where, you know, you could be in the police station and there's no connection to the, the person's apartment is next to that. And then, you know, uh, uh, the jail cells are not even on the same stage as the police station. But Star Trek, the way just by design, um, because also for those long steady cam shots, you know, the, 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 the Aaron Sorkin type of shots, you could literally go from, you know, out of the turbo lift, down a thing, in, you know, into 10 forward. And, and travel through the ship as though you're on board the Enterprise. And it was a beautiful thing. And for those, you Great know, rock. of us, yeah. Ooh. In that world, you know? Oh, there it is. Ouch. Okay. Well, that was a great episode. Such a shame to lose Captain <laughs> Picard. This is, uh, it's, it's really a wonderful conceit. I know I don't necessarily agree with what Ron Moore has said about this, but, you know, he says, you know, Kirk, he thinks started out as a bookworm and really cerebral. And then later on, as a result, the Academy became this wild guy, you know, whereas he said Picard was the opposite. He started out, you know, as sort of, um, you know, a wild man who after this experience sort of became more mature and settled. Right. I don't think the analogy with Kirk is necessarily true. I think it, it, that is true of Picard, but I, I'm not sure, you know, that I buy into the idea that that that, that Kirk started completely, uh, you know, what what Picard became. Mm. Yeah, they, they're just very different to me. You yeah. Know? Well, so I just wouldn't even think to. I've never really thought about Kirk's journey. You know, it's not. He's always just. The captain, you know, so he's he's just Captain Kirk, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. But um, yeah, so here they're shooting against the psych, you blowing, you know, blowing out with the lights. It's uh, but it, it really, a really nicely directed episode overall. I have to say, what's going on here? <laughs> I think that might have been the first scene I saw. Saw him film. Well, look who it is. Look who's there. It's Ned Vaughn. Oh, wait. <laughs> My big hair. <laughs> <laughs> there it is, just as you, you promised us. How, how, many, how many people have got to call Picard Johnny on the show, Mark? I would say I think you might be the only one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you have that distinction. That is something, right? Like, cool. You know, and it's so funny because you said, I know you've talked about, you know, that Patrick was concerned about the age disparity between yes. you and him. But of course, you know, he, he's in the, we're only seeing him in his body as an older man. He was your contemporary in the context of the story. So yeah. I think that he was... Well, I mean, unnecessarily. That's, that's why they tease my hair. I mean, you have to, like, I think I showed up the first day in overalls and, like, my hair and maybe pig, little small pigtails. And, right. You know, that's the 90s. <laughs> so that's the 90s. Everybody, all the girls had pigtails, didn't we? In the 90s? Little, all, the, all the ones in uh, Tom Sawyer did. Or rock bands. <laughs> And, you know, it's interesting that it ends up being called Tapestry. It's really one of the few episodes with Q that doesn't have a Q pun in the title. Right. And partially it's a testament to the fact that this is a more serious episode and he's being used differently than he has in the past. Um, there was an episode of Voyager where he's not. But if you look at this show, it's all hide and Q, um, you know. Uh, quantum wave that shot. Right, like this close, you're like, "Ooh, are we gonna see?" Because that was the show then. Right. Mm -hmm. The younger him in the mirror, and I was really glad they didn't do that. Like the quantum leap, like quantum thing. leap. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, it's all right. No, not at all. Oh, you know what's interesting about the view from uh, your um, window? That is not Vegas. That is actually um, from Logan's Run. The translight. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. They use the uh, the city, the Dome City from uh, Logan's Run for. Um, they used it a lot on Star Trek. They used it in yeah. Star Trek Six as well, I believe. Yeah, which is not a very well known fact, but for those of us who like the esoterica of Star Trek, the fact that there's this Logan's Run connection is super fun. That's really cool. You're not. 
You know, I love yeah. I love that like John brought brought like uh, John Delancey brought this like there with all the trickster, you know, the Bugs Bunny said there is like a very dark undercurrent. Like there's a depth that he just brings to it oh, that's yeah. not, you know, so brilliant. Yeah, just when you think that they're becoming friendly, you know, or there's some kind of of a relationship, then he talks very darkly sinister. And it's always great. And and what's also great is that, you know, I think Patrick can be a very intimidating actor, you know, particularly I would think to, to young <laughs> and and Delancey, you know, certainly never has shown any sign of being remotely intimidated by him. He goes, you know, nose to nose with him. Yeah. No, absolutely. But you know what, Patrick's not, he's not he could very easily be intimidating, but he's so warm and friendly and, you know, and welcoming and, and an actor's actor that it doesn't, it didn't feel like that at all. You know, I mean, I was, I was really nervous and then he just made me feel totally comfortable. But you also got him in the sixth season. Right. I think in the first season he was, and I can only talk about it from my perspective as a journalist. I, I know that when I interviewed him on this, the first season on the set of, um, uh, um, on too short a season, uh, he was much more intimidating to talk to than he was later on. He was he had really warmed up and was more comfortable in his own skin and you know with the show and right. you know. But uh, the the first time I met him, it was uh, I admittedly was in college and didn't have as much experience as I would later. But it was still very he could be he, he was very intimidating. You know, beyond the cast. Yeah. And maybe he sensed too that I would be, you know, he might have been being kind to me, but my experience was that, you know, like it was just like acting with somebody who cared about the scene, you know? Yeah. Was, well, you look, you know, from having worked in this business for so long, you know, top of the call sheet, people act one or two ways. One, they, they, they know this, this, everything on the show comes from them. And, and, and so they're welcoming and they're friendly and they set the tone. And 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 the, the guest stars they are, are very kind to you know visit all reflects on them. Then it's there's the opposite. Everyone was so nice to me, even people I didn't mm. do things with. I was mm. surprised, you know. You know, and this was a show where you know the cast was working really long hours, but they got along. They didn't hate each other. A lot of shows that work these kind of hours uh, it would be a very acrimonious. I mean, the the, the worst I've ever, I'd ever seen it for them was seventh season. Uh, he, you know, particularly for Patrick, it was, you know, he, and he admits this, you know, he had just finished uh, during the summer, he toured doing his one man show, Christmas Carol. So he didn't have a hiatus. Then he came back, he was directing, and then they were going right into the movie, into Generations. So he probably hadn't had a day off other than weekends. And, you know, uh, he, he was heavily featured in the seventh season. So he was working really late nights all the time. And he was he was exhausted. And you see that in Generations, which is another reason I don't think that movie works, because they didn't have a break. They went right from the season finale, series finale, into shooting that movie. And, you know, they're wiped out. Right. I mean, that's why I think part of his performance is so low-key in Generations, because I think he's exhausted. Mm. Could be. Look at that hair. That is not Sherilyn Fenn. No, <laughs> and my hair is not that big, so I have something, some gratitude. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So funny. That's it's like, the you know. that's the full fondue there. That's. Uh... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you remember when you first interviewed me, Mark, about this, and I said like he he had to remember a girl, and he got this smile on his face, and I was like, oh my, I could watch him act. I don't know what I said. Mm. It was just it was just like you knew you were watching an artist, you know. And that was the scene where he was talking about her, you know. The scene prior with Kia, where yeah, 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 that was her name, and it's just it's such a little moment, but it's so it's so filled, you know. And he's so subtle, yeah. And and, and I really like, it. and I think that's why this character worked because he's so the antithesis of Kirk. So you know, as much as we like to pit the two of them against each other, uh, you know, they're so different that you never like say, oh, one's better than the other because I mean, obviously Kirk is, but Kirk, <laughs> you know, Kirk and Picard are so different. That uh, they're both wonderful characters, you know, and embracing the diversity of them, that they're so completely different. They are very This is a nice set that Richard James did and the Don Jock table. I wanted to play with this table. Like, I wanted to be like, could I be this, like, an inch tall and go inside it and, like, <laughs> a little kid. You know, I see this, I'm, like, like, suddenly eight years old again. 
It's so funny because, you know, now if you shot something like this, it would be all holograms and yeah. all post VFX and you it would be a whole thing. Yeah. Were there any uh, uh, on-set rules for playing Dom Jot? I, I don't recall any on-set rules for playing Dom John. Now, see, they, somebody, this isn't that hard to build. So this is what the kind of thing they should do at conventions. They should build a dom jock yeah. table. Oh, you know? oh, that would be so cool. And then have people dressed up as aliens threaten them if they don't. Play. Yeah, I would come, come, Brad, come in and start pushing you. Yeah. This, this also. Oh, look, it's show. Gene Simmons from Kiss. These no, guys, no. <laughs> these guys were in makeup, hair, and makeup for so long. I felt for them. Their call time was like the very first time of the day, you know, with all that. And I was just like, oh, wow. But I have to say, in a show that really became weird noses and foreheads, which <laughs> of the week, this is a great makeup. Yeah. It's yeah. a really terrific, uh, you know, it's alien, it, it, you know, it's intimidating. You, you can tell that they're up to no good just through the makeup. Uh, it's true. They can get very ill-tempered if they lose. So can I. Kurt's <laughs> so Neville Chamberlain. That's right. You know. Oh no, we can't. We can't cause any trouble. Let's let's be, let's have some tea and leave. Leave them to their business. They'll go away. Oh, oh the horror! Oh, funny. There he is. <laughs> you know, uh, what's up, Doc? He's uh, he's Loki. He's Loki in this. Yeah, a little Loki, little little more benign. I always felt like he's like he also had that it brought it like I'm subtly I'm messing with Picard, but I'm subtly on his side because right. he's got a license he needs to. And it's funny too because the uh, Deep Space Nine that Delancey was on had just aired like two weeks before this, mm. so it really felt like he was a an intricate part of the tapestry of oh. Star Trek. Oh, see what you did there? Uh, that was that was very clever. Indeed. <laughs> And I like the way they went back to the old, uh, you know, movie uniforms too. Yeah, that I, was, I don't know how you felt about that. And the that. communicators, because they had a bag of them, like a garbage bag filled with a little. Oh, I was so excited! I was like, "Can I have one extra communicator, please? Can I take one home with me?" Never, never ask. Yeah, <laughs> they gave me a communicator. They were just little pieces of plastic. I mean, oh, okay. Because you know? you're like, one day I'm going to have kids, and I'm going to want this. I'm going to say I have a communicator, but it's not in my box anymore of stuff. So that's hmm. just... uh oh. Maybe you gave it to your mother. Let's just say that's what happened. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh oh. Uh oh. I, I I sense a better story than that, but we're not going to pry for the, on the podcast. We'll ask you afterwards. <laughs> um. Okay. So there's some rocket Donjok going on here. It's interesting. It doesn't look like they did much with their hands, though. Or, or, or certainly the, the, the texture of the hands. They got some fingernails really there. It is Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I believe he's cheating. <laughs> oh, look, we're pissed. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. looks all around. No. I know. I love that there are no rules, but like you're just like, oh man, got another point. I'm sneering. We're sneering her. It's it's kind of like it's kind of like Quidditch and Harry Potter. You know, they just make up the rules as you go. And oh, we've won. Okay. I don't know if he should be talking about controlling the balls. I don't think that's a. <laughs> well, we can do to him what he did to us. I don't think that's a good idea. No. <laughs> Let's find a way to uh, negotiate with them. <laughs> yeah, we don't cheat in Starfleet. <laughs> if we have any chance of getting caught. Now, what is that in the background there? Is it just to give texture to the wall? Or is that a bulletin board? Or what is that? Just for you. Oh, that. That's a good question. It's, it's weird. It looks like a picture frame, but there's no picture. It looks like a cork board. Like a, it looks like a, a bulletin board. Exactly. Is it supposed to maybe be a view screen that's off? Maybe, but there's there's precedence in uh, TOS. There was a strange shaped uh, uh, art that had no detail on it. Yeah, but it's not that strange a shape. It's rectangular. No, it looks like a, a, a pin <laughs> there's board. There's two of them. Maybe they're big speed. Oh. Maybe oh, they're windows yeah. something over them. And I see you have like Siri over there. 
you know, or Alexa in the in the, oh darn it, I always do that. Um, <laughs> just call it Alex. <laughs> Look at the communicator. It looks really good. It doesn't look plastic. Revenge. Yes. Uh, oh, are you talking about the Starfleet symbols on the on the jacket? Yes. See, at this point, they weren't communicators. All right. So. No, they were just the teenage brain. I was like communicators. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're with the Trexperts now. It's okay. Listen. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Will nurse made you through these? I was, a, okay. I was a bigger fan of Next Gen than I was of the original. Don't hate me. We don't No, we, we don't, don't hate you. We, we, are, we don't give in the hate. Although um, I look, here's the thing. We celebrate the love. And, and you know, uh, both Darren and I are fans of a lot of Star Trek series. You know, so, um, you know, obviously the TOS is our favorite. There's no secret. But that doesn't mean that we dislike. <laughs> Candy wow. Graham from Mongo. Candy Graham from Mongo. It's so funny because that's such a dated concept. Even it's now, you yeah. know, like the delivery guy, the Western Union guy who comes in with the delivery. It's like kids today watching. It's like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I did like the original Star Trek too, but I, I, not the same. It wasn't happening in real time for me in the same way, you know? You don't need sure. to. You don't need to apologize. And no, you make no apologies. It's fine. We won't like you any less. Okay. Much. <laughs> no, no, it's it's fine. No. Well, to, to be fair, you know, maybe in the 24th century, Postmates will, you know, do this kind of thing. And they'll, and they'll, <laughs> and they'll put, a little, put a little dance in it, you know? Yeah. That could very well true. happen. It's like the Uber Eats Postmates uh, yeah. DoorDash of the 24th well, century. Commercial, so it does it. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, jazz hands always help the delivery. That's a great commercial. <laughs> Now the Bonestell facility. Bonestell is a reference to Chelsea. Chesley, you know, uh, Chesley Bonestell. Chesley Bonestell, the great uh, uh, sci-fi illustrator slash map painter. Um, it's a nice little reference there. Uh oh. Uh, looks like there's cheating going on. <laughs> <laughs> Are you cheating under there? <laughs> oh, he got to call him Johnny. Yeah, he did. Oh, yes. He, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was Johnny. Well, and Penny might have too, right? So, Because John Luke was so pretentious. You had to call him Johnny. Yeah. Johnny. Well, see, that's why I think they should bring Marta back to Picard because it would be fun to have somebody call him Absolutely. an adult. You, 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 you know, I'm telling you, people listening to this podcast, you have to start lobbying for uh, Justine to come on, on, on to Picard that's, and call uh, Picard Johnny. That last line was really funny. He asked for to ha hand him the Magnus banner, but when I was yeah. reading it, it looked like, hand me the mansplainer. <laughs> that's really funny. You know, that's what we should have called this podcast, uh, the Trexplainers. Trexplainers. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, that'd go over really well. That's <laughs> true. Right thinking is <laughs> rewarded. Wrong thinking is punishable. Have it your way. I'm a, little, I'm a little disappointed with the undershirts in this time period. They mm, seem to be... Why is that? You know, well, because, of course, in, in, in Star Trek II... The undershirts underneath these, the, what they called them. Uh, they had the ridges. The monster they the maroons. They had, they had the cool collars ridges. on them. So yes. You could actually see them above the uh, uniform. But this, They look like, like lays, like the ruffles, you know, with the ridges. The green t-shirts. <laughs> I mean, the gray t-shirts. Yeah. I agree that the shirts underneath the uniforms were much... Like, I remember when, like, Savic takes off and she has the red maroon yeah. shirt with the high turtleneck underneath. Like, that was... That's a much cooler looking. And, it it and, almost and seems Kirk. when they have the full jacket on, it seems like the undershirt is sort of a a, a second thought, and it's so just trying was, to peek up over there. To, to this shot was just a dolly shot going across the room, and it was squeaking to the whole thing. So I looped oh my this gosh. entire scene. Oh, that. that's so annoying! You had to ADR this whole scene. Whole entire scene, except for the last line. And if you listen, you can hear when I say you said it now. My voice is totally different. It's dropped into. Like, it, it's a shame. Like, it makes, as an actor, it makes me so angry, you know? Because you're doing this small, intimate scene. Yeah. yeah. And this is, like, some heavy lifting for an actor. And then, yeah, to have the dolly squeaking. And then nobody sound didn't call it out, or they just had to keep moving? All I know is I had to 
loop the entire scene. Oh. Yeah. I, oh, I, I did a good job like matching the map, but but I couldn't do that and match the tone. Like I wasn't that experienced at this point. And um I was not There's some good eye contact going on in this. We'd already done a shot here because my mouth is all red from kissing him. Yeah, you're in a you know you're an esteemed group, a company. You know, there are only so many people that can say they kiss Jean Luc Picard. Unlike Kirk, where you know half the female guest stars, but you you know, not a lot of women had the chance to kiss uh, uh, Captain Picard. So it's true. I really have no idea why not. I have no idea why not. People don't realize how difficult ADR is because you've gone from having. You know, another actor, you know, you're in the room, in the place where you're shooting, you, you, you're you in the character, you've been performing oh, there's this role. There's some going on. In ADR, <laughs> you're just in a booth, and more often than not, you don't even have the director there. It's just some sound engineer yeah. saying, okay, at the beep, can you can you go do it again, please? Wow. Yeah, and I do remember them pushing me to try to match the tone, but it was, mm -hmm. it was this was the most I've ever had to ADR one entire scene. Hey, wait a minute. That was your shirt on the floor. <gasps> What's going on oh, here? It's a funny business. Oh my goodness. No, wait a minute. Oh, look, someone's touching his ear. Oh, oh, oh we were fooled. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great bit, <laughs> though. It's a nice camera move, too. He's got such good, good comic yeah. He really does. I mean, you know, he didn't get to do comedy a lot, but when he did it, he's really good. Like in Captain's Holiday, which is not a great episode, but the first half is just like sort of a. a a whimsical, funny episode. That, that's really great until it turns into nonsense. Right. <laughs> Have you ever seen, there's a um, an online thing or it's a Shakespeare class that some, some British Shakespeare teacher takes all the famous Shakespeare actors, Judy Dench, Patrick Stewart, and, and just teaches them, like works with them online. And it's so cool to watch. And he's in there working on Merchant of Venice and a bunch of stuff. Oh, that's neat. I, I got so that great. Out. They're doing their process. Oh, that is cool. That is very cool. Yeah. It's funny, I was watching Excalibur recently and it's always weird to see Patrick Stewart in that. One lad, one Oh, wow, yeah. You know, because, you know, he was just this British character actor you know, doing Dune and Life Force and it's amazing that he got the second act when he got cast in the show. And now he's just as well known, I think, for Professor X. Yeah. So I totally blame myself for this scene getting cut. I do. Like, in my, back in my insecure actor's brain, I was like, oh, I locked up the scene and they cut it. <laughs> well, you talk about this, but this is the scene where you had to feel like you didn't belong at Starfleet Academy. Your character didn't yeah. belong. And, and you looked at him and you, with his cocky arrogance and you thought, oh, this is a guy who's going to make it. But you didn't believe in that dialogue and you feel you self-sabotaged without even realizing it. No, I, I did something even worse, Mark, <laughs> which is that I just like I just had a breakthrough in my acting class where I'm like, I learned to cry. On, I learned to cry. And, and so I just I think I decided I was going to cry in the scene. And it's totally not necessarily appropriate, um, especially for. So I don't know. That's why they cut it. They might have just cut it for time. But in I, my, you know, insecure teenage actor's brain, I was like, I blew this by making a choice that wasn't specific to the material, but was something that I wanted to do in my acting, you know, mm -hmm. you know, and they didn't tell me not to do it. So mm -hmm. nobody said, don't do that. But, you know, still, it just, I would not, I would not play this the same way now, you know? Okay. <laughs> well, we'll get the script out. We're going to let you do it. The I, way no, you I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, request, request to come back on the card. <laughs> request denied. I'm not acting for free on your podcast. Thank you. Um, <laughs> what is that? What is that food? It's a great monologue, though, that I had. I was really bummed. Yeah, I mean, the speech is basically, it is a very nice speech that Ron wrote, but I could see why it would have been cut that had nothing to do with your performance because it's saying more about you as a guest star than it is about the star of the show. Right. And, you know, this is a fairly long scene and it was fairly static because it was close-up, close-up, close-up. So I could see why that would be something that would be a lift. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, you know this. You don't play the end of the scene. The end of the scene is what they yep. can't. Right. You know, so there's something to that. I'm afraid we've ruined the friendship. The story has nothing to do with that, you know? So right. um, I, 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 you know, I do think like, even if that's not the reason they cut it, I feel, I, you know, I feel like I, if I played it differently, they might have kept it, you know? 
That's such an actor thing. I, I, I honestly, I don't think I, I don't see a world in which they would have kept that. Uh, although apparently, I, the scene is on the Blu-ray. It is. Yes. <gasps> yes. The you scene is on the Blu-rays. I've never seen it. So if you want to see it, you should. Uh, I don't mean you. I'm talking to the audience now. <laughs> so if you want to see it, you should check out the the Blu-ray of this episode where it's in the bonus features. There's so much humor in that, in the like speech that I had that I just didn't, I was like, there's so much there that I didn't get, you know? How funny would it be you put that on your reel now? It's a deleted scene, but I'm going to put it on my reel. Right? <laughs> I had that in uh, What Lies Beneath, too. It's, I'm in a deleted scene with Michelle Pfeiffer. I'm like, my luck, they deleted the scene, you know? Uh, but at least it wasn't with Harrison Ford. Cowards. <laughs> How'd you like working with Robert Zemeckis? Um, that was another one. He was so, I mean, I was only in, in, in one scene, you know, I got hired actually for my band right. um, because they need a girl band to back up. Uh, I think Kate Town was the girl who played daughter in that, I think. Um, and they, she was supposed to be the singer in a girl band. So they hired my band to be the backup band. And they knew because of the way they had to negotiate the contract that they had to pay me a SAG, even though, right, like it was the more right. than them. And he was just like, you're an actress, right? And I'm like, yeah, and he's like, come, I need you to come do the scene with uh, Michelle and and Kate and, you know, bring in a beer. And, mm. and I just thought, you know, but they wanted almost cutting the entire daughter's storyline, you know, mm. I don't think there was time for that. And so all that got cut. Yeah. And we, I had a little back and forth with Michelle Pfeiffer, that was cool. Look at this, look at this uh, look of disgust. <laughs> You put right, signs with the Nausicans against us. Wuss. <laughs> and now you're completely unattractive this to is... women. <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, it's, that's what's a, it's such a it's such an audacious story. The fact that yeah, so he didn't intercede. He did what by most people would say is probably the right thing, and he's he's condemned to live a life of mediocrity, mediocrity and yeah. and mundaneness. Yeah, this is this whole section of this episode is uncomfortable for me to watch, which I think means it did it right. You right. know, you're not be comfortable watching him like be not in charge. It's, it's like turquoise is not a flattering color on me. <laughs> I refuse to wear this uniform. You are the eldest lieutenant junior grade ever in Scotland. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, th those those are plastic though. Those communicators. Yes, those. You are. know. There was a time where Ron Moore wanted this to be Jellico, that he would be serving under Jellico, oh which would have been great. That would have been fascinating. Yeah, and I don't know why it got cut. I don't know if they seriously pursued having Ronnie Cox or if they were just going to name check it. They probably just didn't want to pay Ronnie Cox to come back. Exactly as I promised. I've returned you to the prison. But that's why I love Ron Moore, because he gets the gestalt of the show. Right. He gets what's cool about the show. Like, just the fact that he thinks, oh, he's, now he's condemned to serving under Jellico. That's inspired. Yeah. That's what you wanted, wasn't it? To change the man you were in your youth. Where I you don't know? like this color. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Delancey's just having a ball here. Yeah, he's dressed up like Dr. Kildare. Running <laughs> tests, making analyses, and carrying reports. <laughs> You're pathetic, John Luke. Yes. Admit it. I mean, they're really brutal to him. This next yeah. scene coming up where he's sitting with uh, Marina and uh, John, Johnny, as some of us call him, Franks. Um, and, uh, you know, they're basically saying you're never going to be captain. And one of my mom's favorite movies was Gilda with Rita Hayworth. Oh, sure. Oh, I love so Gilda. I love, we were obsessed with that scene where she's, you know, brushing her hair and like, who me? I'm decent. And then the other one, she's like, Johnny. Who me? It's a hard name to remember. So easy to forget. You know that. If, if you were a ranch, you would have been called the bar nothing. There you go. <laughs> I love Gilda. Gil Gilda is a pretty oh, twisted good. movie. Yes, it is. And and Rita Hayworth is so great. And Glenn Ford is so great. Yeah, but she's just nobody does like the sexy campy thing like Rita Hayworth. Who no. Me? Well, that's that's what Orson Welles said. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, and and, and uh, I mean, I can't believe he made her cut her hair for Lady from Shanghai, but you know, which almost ruined her career and his. But uh, but it's still, she's still great in it. Yes. If I told you that I believe he's so timid. 
I know. He does such a good job. Yeah. He does, and that's what makes him a great actor, too. Because a lot of, you know, uh, male actors on a TV show, they never want to drop the facade, being right. the hero, being the, the, you know, and, he, you know, to, to play this kind of weak, timid kind of character. Vulnerable. Like, they, yeah. they won't go there. Right. And he totally goes there. He owns it. It's great. You know, that's the thing is just to see, he's always in, he's always in his actor's process. I mean, that was what really struck me. Um, willing to be there. that That's such a vulnerable place to be for an actor, you know, and you'd think it would um, to not have to ever feel the pressure of living up to something once you're uh, mm-hmm. on a show for this long, you know, to be able to take a chance and do something different. I think it's amazing. Would that be your evaluation as well, Commander? Yeah, this is the, well, sorry, you're just not an asshole meeting. Um, yeah. You got to stand out in the crowd. Yeah. Play trombone. <laughs> Wait, so, and he's got that like passive aggressive rage there. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. Like, Why don't I talk to Commander LaForge in engineering and see what we can do? Now, Jordy, uh, LeVar Burton isn't in this episode. Um, but, uh, and I don't think he was, I don't think he was, a. Uh, you know, I think he was on a full 26. He was a star. He wasn't on like a uh, recurring because, right. you know, when Michael Dorn started off, he wasn't guaranteed all episodes produced. He was only on, I think, seven or thirteen at first. Right. Yeah, that that was the normal thing if you were a new actor back then. Mm-hmm. That's my first show too. Where's Guinan? She'll figure it out. He's in an alternate reality. He's not really a, a pathetic lieutenant. He's a captain. I'm on my way, sir. And he t- he paces this like the pressure of him not being able to take it. It's like it builds so perfectly, you know. Yes. I mean, definitely working with him and Angela Lansbury are like the highlights to me. Oh, that's cool. I'm a big fan. That of is great. That, so. I just watched Bed Knobs and Broomsticks again last oh, week. Oh, that's kids. fun! Or did they like oh, it? They loved it. I, it was great because I told my daughter it has witches and my son it has Nazis, so they were thrilled. <laughs> and wait, so is uh, complaining. Exactly. Q's not wrong. That man is bereft of passion. Imagination. But he's you. The language and the writing is so good, Mark. It's right? so like good. Passion and imagination, just the choice of those two words there. Look, Ron Moore, um, you know, what's one what, what of the great gifts the show gave us was, you know, Ron Moore in that they found this young writer who was working at a veterinary clinic, you know, and, and he writes this, oh, really? I didn't know you know, this, this script and you know, they give him a chance and then they hire him on staff. This is a testament to Michael Pillar, yeah. you know, and then, you know, to see him grow as a writer over the course of Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, and then become the, the guy that he is now with Galactica, For All Mankind, and Outlander, and now, you know, the stuff he's doing at Disney. It's it's really amazing. Yeah, and, he's, and, he's the uh, real deal. He's the real deal. And, and uh, it's all because of Michael Pillar, you know, who had this... You know, nobody was hiring people from the outside like that, right. and 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 search actively searching for new voices and new, you know, and giving people the chance to come in and pitch. Because those were painful days for everyone, and I mean, for for all those producers when they would have to sit and listen to these awful pitches. It's bad enough to hear bad pitches <laughs> from professionals, but when you're hearing <laughs> from amateurs, I mean, and and you know, for every you know hundred pitches they would hear, maybe there was one that was decent. And most of it was total crap. But they would find the diamond in the rough. Re, you know, the Renee Echeverrias, the, the, the Brandon Braggas, the uh, Brian Fullers. I mean. God, he's so good in this. Yeah. Both of them. Like, it's always so much fun to watch them. The life I just saw. Joust. Yeah, it's funny. This scene, I guess, was a bit of an influence on. Remember the beginning of Free Enterprise, where he appeals and you know uh, Shatner appears because we got rained out on location. We didn't know what to do, and we said, "Oh, let's shoot it like tapestry from a white psych where he's in the afterlife." Yeah. And see, so we did exactly the same. That's cool. Boom. Oof. Okay, Justine, yes. let's see you that getting that. Was there you go. For there you go. <laughs> and I'm so glad you didn't pull out a, a flower pot or something, <laughs> you know, plate. You know, you're 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 throwing punches, which is great. 
Yeah, but mo- that's not me, right? Like most of it, I mean, now you don't get a stun double for anything. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this was like, okay, you sit over here. Okay, now come and do this. You know, lift your arms up above your head and... Careful, those plastic barrels hurt. <laughs> oh. Uh-oh. I wonder what happened to those Norsicans. Did they get arrested by Starfleet security? They should, right? They, you know? <laughs> One would think, but nah. And and you know what? Like, how much would any other actor panic? You're you're laughing on the your deathbed table. That is, yeah. I would be horrified if I had to act that. Right? Like, I'd be going, "How do I do this and make it?" Mm-hmm. And he does. I mean, I guess they knew who they were writing for too. He know? pulls it off. It's brilliant. You wouldn't want it any other way, but it's that's not easy. Those are the things I feel like people don't realize how hard that is for actors to do something yeah. like that. I'd also say for a show that often is very flatly directed. This is very well directed. That whole you know push in at the beginning and the pullback, you know, from the overhead here. Was this Les Landau? Yes. Yes. Les, Les did a good job. He was one of their better directors. Was it? Captain and that's what's great, the ambiguity of this. Was it a dream or did it really happen? A little bit like they wanted us to feel about Lost, I think, right? <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't compare this to the Lost. <laughs> I'll take this over uh, the finale yeah, of Lost. The end, yeah. Which, which, and we talked about this, you know, look, which isn't to, to diminish Lost because Lost for most of its run was oh, yeah. exceptional. And, and to me, it was always about the character. So I was not ever as mad about the ending as everyone else. Mm. I sort of knew in my brain, I was like, they're never going to be able to wrap this. this is, they have no plan for this. This is like... Look, there were loose threads. He's calling you a loose a loose thread. Ooh. <laughs> I like it. I'll take it. Oh, no, he pulled <laughs> one of those threads. <laughs> I love this line. We have a title. Right, exactly. But, you know, they did Wonderful Life without... Without it being, you know, with, with the uh, on the nose, with, well, with the profound ending of their own, like I, they were yeah. able to mm-hmm. say the same thing in a way that is unique to the show, that um, is just as powerful. And I think that's hard. I love the message it sends yeah. that we got to own our decisions, and that the good and the bad decisions make us who we are, right. and uh, that we we learn as much from the bad decisions as the good decisions. Well, and that's and we, that's really like paving the way for what TV is now, right? I mean, all these true. shows, whether it was Lost or once but like Absolutely. all these characters who are bad and show you Harry breaking bad and you know I don't know how Michael Pillar didn't like this episode. I don't know what he was thinking. Yeah. But Mike. then he loved the second season of Voyager, so Michael and I didn't always see eye to eye. <laughs> well, look, well, was this fun. was great. You're great in it. Uh, uh it's a great episode. <laughs> I really it's true. I you know, I'm not just saying this. I would have loved to have seen more of your character. And it's a shame. Well, they couldn't uh, that do it we didn't. because it was back yeah. in time. They can right. do it now. That is my point. It's, you know, it's like, yes, a part of me is like being obnoxious actor saying, like, bring back Marta. But also <laughs> like the Star Trek fan in me is like, you actually can bring back this character. You can't, you can't always do that. That's such a unique yeah. opportunity, you know? Well, and those contemporary shows now are so much about the fan service and bringing back characters from the past. You know, it's not crazy to think that, you know, Someone that important to Picard would 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 make a. It would know, be would, fun would, to see what their dynamic is now. If they're not seeing each other for that long, like I just think that would be fun, you know. So. Yeah, and and, and I, what your reaction would be to the fact that he's a robot now. No. That's true, but the part <laughs> the problem, unfortunately, is you're still much much younger than he is. This is true. No, <laughs> no, I mean little age, man. I mean, they know how to do all sorts of things. Well, that's now. true. You know, I've, and, and, and I know how to light myself here. I have more lines than I'm showing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, this is this is great. And I'm really glad that your experience on uh, Next Generation was such a positive one. It really was. But you know what? I am the person that's like, I, I make sure that I am so grateful for every job I do. I really do. Like, even if it's like I have two lines in this episode... What is really, what am I getting to do that is so cool? Oh, there's a helicopter two feet from my face. Like as an actor, you get to experience so many things. But yes, this is one of those things that I didn't have to go. What is really cool about this? So (laughs) I I think it's important to be, to have gratitude for each unique experience because really like that's part of what we all love about this is, right? Even if you're on a series, every episode is different. You're working with slightly different people. Like it's, it's something it's, 
it's not quite live theater, but it's it's always it's always it's moving art, right? It's always changing and, right. and shifting depending on the dynamics of that particular group that week. And I, I'm probably being a little deep and obnoxious and already. That's how I do. <laughs> well, this has been great. Thank you, Justine. And uh, thank you, Darren, for uh, this literally trip down memory lane, both for Picard and for us, and especially for you. And um, we'll be back with an all-new episode of Inglorious Trexperts next week. Uh, and you can continue to follow uh, curated audio commentaries of significant episodes in the history of Star Trek at the Trexperts Briefing Room, where you'll hear Trexperts and notables like Justine Brandy talk about their Star Trek memories. And a very special thanks to our sound engineer, Bill Ritter, Mark Rivera, our producer, Natalie Miscali, and our associate producers, Zach Raggetts, and Peter Holmstrom for all their help in making this possible. And of course, if you want to follow us on social media, you can do so at Inglorious Trexperts on Instagram, Inglorious Treks on Twitter and Facebook. And now you can also follow us on Clubhouse, where we'll be doing some uh, post-show live, post-show wrap-up. So follow us on social media to find out when those will be happening. And you can join us for live conversations and uh, join the conversations on Clubhouse. So until next week, I want to thank everyone for joining us. But until then, the briefing room is closed. Engage. Mr. Scott, what do you repeat what you just told us? About an hour ago, the bridge control started going crazy. Levers shifting by themselves, buttons being pushed. Instrument readings changing. And on my monitor screen, I can see Mitchell smiling each time it happened. As if his ship and crew were almost a toy for his amusement. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.